on this episode of Business Interrupted. One of the biggest lessons I've taken from these last couple of years is how important it can sometimes be to be bold. I think when we talk a lot about resiliency, risk management, dealing with all of these challenges around the world, it's very easy to fall into a, how do I try to build certainty out of this? One of the big lessons for me has been, sometimes this is exactly the time to make a bold decision. Sometimes this is exactly the time to go after a brass ring. And I think you've got to talk about it as an executive team here at the company and with the board about, listen, we think there are some opportunities on the table. We want to take a leap. But for me, that's been a big learning here. I've often thought of crisis times as a time to clamp down, but sometimes it's an amazing time to really also say, how do I make an opportunity out of this? Business as usual is challenged every day. It's not about if disruption occurs, it's when. On this original show from Castellan Solutions, we're learning from the world's best leaders, so you can be ready for whatever comes next. I'm your host, Cheyenne Marling. From backlogged ports to continued COVID lockdowns, supply chain has continuously been in the headlines. It's something the average consumer doesn't pay much attention to, but for our guest today, it's her bread and butter. At Castellan, we're always helping organizations think about and manage risk so they can confidently respond to business disruptions, which is why I was so excited to sit down with Elaine Bolts. Chief Operating and Transformation Officer at Crocs, to hear her story about managing resilience. Elaine took on a role right as the pandemic hit, giving her quite the exciting start to an already challenging position. In our conversation, you'll hear Elaine's insights on pivoting quickly, managing supply chain risk, dealing with ambiguity, and the importance of trust in coping with the unexpected. To start, Let's hear what led Elaine to Crocs and how she hit the ground running. I'm relatively new to the world of resiliency, and I have to say the last two years has been a real crash course for me on that. So my my role at Crocs is overseeing operations, which includes supply chain, all of our distribution, inventory management and planning, and technology across Crocs. My background is definitely a mismatch with that. So I actually kind of started in some different areas, started my career in brand management, running P&Ls and marketing for various consumer brands, was in consulting with BCG for a while, again, still in consumer and retail, but across a number of different areas from M&A to some supply chain to marketing and branding, et cetera. And then worked at a few different retailers in various roles. So I was uh, with Ann Taylor for a period of time and oversaw strategy for them, was their chief marketing officer and, and oversaw their, e- their growing e-commerce business. Joined Chico's FAS down in Florida and oversaw uh, their catalog and e-commerce business. And then joined TJX, which owns Marshalls and TJ Maxx and was employee number one starting up their e-commerce business. So it was a little shocking to get a, a phone call from the CEO at Crocs saying that he had a role overseeing operations within the company and transformation and and would I be interested? And at first I went, well, why are you calling me? It's not an obvious fit. But really, he would, you know, we've got a really terrific operations team here with a lot of phenomenal functional experts. He was really looking for someone who could envision and lead a pretty significant transformation effort on how we look at all of our back office processes. And as I got to know the brand and the people and the board, I have to tell you, I was incredibly impressed and thought, well, I don't know if I can do this job, but let's jump in. It seems like a really fun company. So that's kind of how I got to where I am today. Now, of course, the first week that I jumped in was the first week of the pandemic. So (laughs) everything changed pretty quickly. 
So tell me about that with coming in new job, really a new role outside of your scope, right? I mean, you had a great retail background. That's go that goes without saying. But really stepping into a new role and being stretched outside of your comfort zone, having to work with the board, work with your management, your employees globally right during a pandemic is hitting. How did that kind of play out? It's definitely a shock to my system. I was already a little nervous coming in, uh, knowing that I was going to have a, a steep learning curve. And in some ways, the pandemic and COVID hitting so fast kind of helped speed up that learning curve in a lot of ways, because I there was no time to really ease my way into the position. And in another way, it helped because we were facing something that, frankly, no one in operations had faced before. And so we none of us really had the answers or the proper way to do things. And so we all had to make that up together. And so in some ways, it was a little bit of an easier way in because we were all facing a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty. It was an incredibly interesting time for me as well, being new to the company, right? I think for me, I very quickly had to start to build trust inside the company. I had to get a really quick sense of what the key priorities had to be. But I was actually pretty impressed. Our CEO, Andrew Reese, really put together a very rapid game plan around thinking about the defense on the pandemic and how do we think on the offense side as well. And so we talked about things, you know, back then no one knew what was going to happen. We just knew stores were going to close and we didn't know what the sales accounts were going to be like. And and so we really thought about how do we manage cash flow? How do we reduce the orders that we're producing currently? How do we manage our inventory effectively. And so we looked around, how do we keep our workers safe? Can our workers still go to work? How do we think about that? And so there were just a number of really immediate questions that first week that no one had the answer to, but we had to develop a super fast plan. I think the other interesting piece of it, and I think what was unique and special and where I kind of thought, yeah, I think I'd make the right choice on a decision with the companies is we also talked about, okay, let's talk about how we make the most of this situation, right? We've got an incredible product that's super comfortable for working from home, that people can keep clean during a time when we're all worried about germs, all of those sorts of things we talked about. How do we pivot very, very quickly to also make the most of it? We talked a lot about, listen, full court press on e-commerce. That's a way that consumers are going to feel better about shopping. And so that meant all of our operations had to really shift and pivot to thinking differently about the mix of the business. So in general, it was taking that blueprint for the corporation and very quickly coming down to the top three or four things that mattered and then really pushing forward fast. So with your scope of the what you manage, I mean, obviously a global organization. So I'm curious to know in your new role with supply chain, what regions of the world do you interact with most? So Crocs is a super global company. We clearly do a good business here in the U.S. and in the Americas. But we do half of our business outside of it. So for us, we've got a huge presence in Europe, in Asia. We've got presence in Middle East and Africa. We've got really growing presence around the world. And so we were working across time zones. And I think from a supply chain standpoint, we make most of our goods outside of the areas that we produce in. So it was also connecting the dots, like most companies, on how we get them to the right place. And so that meant both keeping the relationships going internationally. We switched over to virtual communication super, super fast, but also getting pretty educated and not just how the pandemic was evolving around the world, how various governments were reacting to it, what we could and couldn't do. And that was ever changing. It really was an incredible lesson in agility. It was a blessing to be able to lead a team that was kind of primed and can be a part of a culture that was used to thinking that way. I thought I was used to agility coming from a digital background, but 
it's a beautiful thing to see a whole company be able to turn really fast and kind of particularly in supply chain and operations, which can be incredibly hard and complex to make big changes on. That is so true. So I'm curious to know, as far as with your scope, how many employees do you have reporting to you directly and then indirectly? I'm just trying to get a sense of the scope and the magnitude that you stepped into. It's probably somewhere between kind of five or six indirectly, but it's literally thousands. We've got distribution centers reporting in. We've got a, a good logistics kind of group, a growing kind of planning team. We outsource our manufacturing, but our factory partners work incredibly close with us. And so one of the things was thinking about not just our employees in the mix, but how do we think about all of these relationships we have across the supply chain that really were a critical part of being able to deal during this time of uncertainty. So I'm curious to know, as far as managing risk with supply chain, and that has really elevated to some degree with, I would assume, at the obviously at the board level, because supply chain's been in the news. It wasn't in the news before then. And there's things that you don't think of necessarily that all of a sudden you have an aha moment. Oh, I didn't think about that other provider. And you just mentioned that you subcontract to other warehouses. That brings another layer to your resiliency planning risk management. So tell me a little bit about that. I mean, how did you really manage those relationships, especially since you're new in, in getting into this role? I was lucky to draft off of long-term relationships that had really been built by the team, right? This is one of those areas where you don't turn on and off a relationship. That kind of amount of time and trust that you build with all the players across the supply chain really matter. And so the fact that we had years of relationships with some really terrific footwear manufacturers who were used to working in our usual agile style with us meant that we could all over-communicate <laughs> And really kind of think through how do we manage through this together? What are the changes we need to make? There were some very tough decisions during the time. There was a lot of fast movement. There was a lot of, we hope we're right, but we've got to make a decision. But I think the fact that we had those long-term relationships really helped. I have to say the relationships inside the company really mattered, right? And so being new, that was where I put a lot of focus early on. How do I build a relationship with my team so that they trust me? particularly given that I don't have the expertise that they had, that I didn't have either years with the company or years in supply chain. I've often taken on things I haven't really done before. I actually kind of enjoy it. And I think it's a great way to build up confidence and deal with ambiguity. And so I have enjoyed that. But I find to make that work as a leader, it's critically important that there is a huge information flow and a lot of trust between me and my team. I rely on asking a lot of questions and getting the right data and information. Once I have that, I can usually logic my way through and help prioritize and make decisions. But I, I rely on having a team of people around me who are open enough to communicate the problems, communicate their concerns over strategies and decisions, and really talk things through. And so I invested a lot in kind of building that trust in the team, really building up reporting and communication that was during that time, very, very regular. We were meeting daily on just what did we do in the last 24 hours? What did we do in the next 24 hours as the situation was really evolving? And so building that trust mattered. I think as well, the, the relationships inside the company with my peers really mattered, right? So you know, we don't exist in supply chain on our own. And so the fact that the product team could rely on what we were talking about or that we could be transparent when we just didn't know the answer. How did we deal with our sales teams who had orders out there that we may or may not be able to fulfill when we didn't know what the timing was going to look like from a logistics standpoint as we were moving things around the world? And so really building up the trust, the communication, the uh, candor 
was a huge part of my initial time here because it was so necessary during that time of crisis. That's so true. So, you know, one of my earlier podcasts from the first season was with the CISO from Port of Long Beach, Eddie Galang. And I've known him for, gosh, 20 years. I think I placed him in a position probably 20 years ago. That's a stressful job. <laughs> yes. And it was fascinating to talk to him, but we both live in Southern California. So we've had the tankers pile up and pile up and pile up. So before it hit the news, we saw what was going on. So I'm curious to know, since you had all those different channels, I mean, did you have to try to pivot and find different ways to get products to your customers? I mean, how did that kind of play out? I think there were a few different things. I think one of it was starting to really think through mitigation risk, right? So as we were seeing things pile up, as we realized that a problem in one part of the world was leading to problems all over the world. The fact that there was a lot less capacity than we anticipated because so many consumers were kind of shopping more because they weren't spending on travel and restaurants. All of that was incredibly important. And so we really focused on just how do we think through, are we moving through the right points? Are we using the right modes of transportation? Do we have the right long-term relationships with the carriers out there? I think the other thing was we also really worked with our business partners on what we could and couldn't expect. For instance, we're used to doing international launches of a product on a date. Well, if I can't guarantee that we can get goods by a certain date, what does that mean for our marketing strategies and our launch strategies? How do we think differently about all those things that time really matters on and communicate better to our customers. So I think we thought even more broadly than just the supply chain piece and getting things in, but even down to, if look, if things are going to be volatile for a while, how do we accommodate that throughout the entire business? Obviously, you're not in my little world of resilience management, but yeah, I have to imagine you work closely with that group or that team or whoever it may be, right? So how have you been more ingrained with making sure that the resilience management capabilities of Crocs is taking into account the supply chain resiliency? We've talked a lot about this idea of business disruption, where are we prepared, where are we not prepared, and really thinking about it more broadly. I think like every company, this issue has become much more front and center with boards, with senior leadership. And so we've spent some time really thinking about where our enterprise risk management is. Have we identified everything appropriately? Have we built in redundancy in the right places? And how do you keep redundancy with flexibility is a constant tension for us. The resiliency in general, I think, also goes down to just this agility that I was talking about within the company. When we pulled out the business continuity plan with the pandemic, there was no sort of, here's what happens for a global health crisis. <laughs> it was, there were some rules that we certainly didn't anticipate happening. And so the ability to take the basics, but then say, okay, let me think beyond just the basics here. What are we facing now? Certainly risk management has been a big part of what we're thinking about, but I think also we've talked about what risks we just have to accept right now and how do we think through that. And so that has been a part of a lot of conversations as well, which is kind of, look, we know we're going to take a risk. We've got to make a big decision, but let's make it and let's adjust. Now, obviously, if I looked at your profile here, I know you've been serving on a couple different boards. So I'm sure that you're also talking, speaking with your associates on these other boards or just people in the industry. I'm curious to know how resilience management is escalating in the view or just the whole notion of risk management. It's much bigger scale than what I think transitionally we would approach it in the past. It was very siloed, right? And in my little world, it went from disaster recovery, looking at the data, and then it went to business continuity, looking at the people and the operations. And then it went to, well, now we have to look at crisis management because it's not just being 
it's really being ready and being able to respond and recover in that whole resilience capability. So I'm curious to know within your world of retail and, and how you've moved up the corporate ladder, what are you seeing, not just only with Crocs, but the viewpoint of resilience management at that level, at the board level? Because I'm sure our listeners would love to hear that because we're in the world of working within our silos. I think certainly everyone's become much more aware that we have more pinch points than we thought. I was serving on the board of a household cleaning company, and suddenly it was really hard to get wipes manufactured because there wasn't enough capacity. You know, it was the funny kind of, it's funny now, but the toilet paper kind of surge of the initial part of COVID. And so I think we become eminently more aware of where we have kind of where the risks exist in a way that I think we weren't as aware of it in the past. I also think that we have been, you know, I hope that kind of coming out of this, we've also gotten a little bit more comfortable with a world where risk exists. I think five years ago, none of this was in anyone's mind, right? And what we've lived with in the last two years, you know, we I, I mentioned starting as the pandemic started, we had just tremendous growth after that initial kind of crisis, right? We managed it well, we thought it through the right way, and we had tremendous, tremendous growth coming out. Just as we started to think, well, things are looking pretty good, the, our Vietnam factories shut down with kind of the whole country going down for COVID. And so I think it's a great example of this idea that we're probably not done on all the risks that we're facing, right? The situation in Ukraine creates an entirely different scenario. So I think to some degree, we've gotten a little bit more aware that we are living in a much more uncertain world. And so I think in addition to trying to manage and control the risks, I love the word resilience because it is about recognizing that you have risks and how are you going to adapt to them. I have to say as well, because I, I oversee technology, cybersecurity has has really amped up, right? We've always been concerned about it, but with the pandemic happening, we certainly, like everyone else, kind of a, a surge in attempts for kind of fraud and cybersecurity. And so that part of our business has really become a big part of how we think about resilience, risk management, et cetera. So I, I think we're thinking about the world as having much more risk than we ever saw before. And so that not only means controlling it, but how do you keep flexibility in it? And how do you accept that as a way of doing business going forward? I mean, obviously, we have the geopolitical issues. We have cyber. We have pandemic. We have supply chain resiliency, all these things that are going on, right? Now, my next question is the other key element that we've been maneuvering and pivoting on over the last year or two is also the great resignation. So that's another component because employees are burned out. They feel like they have that lack of separation from home and work. Maybe perhaps they don't feel valued within their current organization and they're burnt out and what have you. So tell me, has the great resignation impact, you know, your current organization and how are you managing everything in that perspective? It's a testament to the culture here at Crocs that we actually haven't been affected by the great resignation. And actually, our HR team does a great job of really uh, tracking and measuring engagement across the company. And, and despite the fact that people are working pretty long hours and things have been super tough, we're seeing that engagement grow. Now, we are fortunate that we are managing all this through a time of incredible growth. Our revenues last year were up 60% versus the year before, 6-0. So we're juggling both all of this disruption with this incredible need for kind of scale and flexibility and pushing the business forward and meeting demand. And so I think that helps, right? Much more fun to do this during a time of growth than not. 
But as I look at my team, and certainly they, you know, I feel like they just keep getting punches, right, from all these different risks that keep popping up and all of these different new circumstances that now we've got to deal with. One of the things that struck me that I realized after, I don't know, my first five or six months at Crocs, which is different about the culture, is that we have this idea of talking about come as you are, right? It's a big part of the brand, right? Some people love Crocs, some people hate Crocs. It's a very individual choice. And we embrace that in the company, right? So the idea of come as you are, be who you are, be comfortable in yourself. We're not going to ask you to change. We want you to have a different opinion. We want kind of all thoughts and diversity coming to the table, I think actually makes it a lot easier to get work done when you feel like you can be yourself. And certainly we've seen not just the stresses at work, but the stresses all around us go up. I have to say, I felt a lot more comfortable coming to work because there was a sense that I didn't have to fit a mold at Crocs. I didn't have to be a particular way or person or have a certain behavior or follow a set of rules. And I think that that has really gone a long way towards kind of relieving some of the anxiety that we're all facing here at Crocs at work. So I think there's been this combination of the brand really resonating with consumers in a profound way. And so we're having this tremendous growth and financial success, which does make everything feel a little bit better. But I think there's also just this acceptance in the company, which has been a part of it for years. Look, we're not going to ask you to be something you're not. And I think that, allow, that that sort of increased emotional comfort at work actually allows us to take on a bit of a heavier burden when things get tough. We've put a big emphasis on smarter, better, faster across the board when we think about all of the different areas that I'm overseeing over these last few years. And certainly the amount of change, this kind of constant, well, we finally fixed this problem and here's a whole new one to deal with <laughs> that we've had these last few years has been tough on folks, but I'm super proud of how the teams come together. I'm amazed by how this organization has really pushed to not just be faster and not just be more flexible, but to be smarter in how we do it and to find the opportunities where I think a lot of other people see challenges. And so we're fortunate not to have had as big of an issue with resignation. We're actually fighting to fill more spots because as the business grows, we've got more people to bring in. With that amount of growth, I mean, you have to be adding to your team on top of just maneuvering everything else. We are, but we're trying to be efficient too, right? And so part of my mandate has also been, how do we build out better processes, put in better systems, think differently so it's not just headcount, but it is part of that getting smarter about how we work. And so that has been a big push internally as well. And i like to touch on what you said also, you alluded to that diversity inclusion factor as well. And I think that's so critical. Then companies are starting to recognize it more and more that their smartest teams are not composed of the people that are from the same background, right? Because people from different backgrounds and experiences are bringing forth a different perspective and they're challenging thoughts and just maybe a traditional way of doing something within the world, right? And that brings out innovation. It brings out, um, and people, when they feel comfortable and valued, they're going to want to give more and work together as a cohesive team. So I think that's fabulous. I do too. I think it's a big part of the mix. And I have to say, we've prided ourselves for being a company that really embraces change and innovation. I, I think innovation has changed how we think about things in these last couple of years as well, right? It's, it's not just about new products and new marketing campaigns. We've really had to think differently about how do we build flexibility in when we're scaling so quickly and we're in living in an uncertain world. Where do we make investments and not? I think it's expanded the idea of innovation in a way that is really profound and touches every part of the company. A couple of the takeaways that I've gone from some of the things you've said is that that high amount of growth 
managing the organizational agility, being flexible when you manage risk. So I'm wondering, since you're stepping in into this new role, right as COVID hit, I'm curious to know what are three things that you, and it doesn't have to be three, it might just be one, one to three things that you are really just proud of and, and just really felt that you really gave it your all to, again, just ensure that the company was making its numbers or, you know, keeping employees happy, whatever it may be, that you really kind of your aha, like that was accomplished. I'd say there's, there's countless areas where, frankly, I think operations, supply chain, there are areas that often, IT often gets overlooked because if you're being successful, no one notices. And I think it's been amazing. I've been incredibly proud of how many people on my team have shown how they shine in a lot of ways that I think people didn't see perhaps before who have just risen up and made a profound impact. And so I'm intensely proud of how my organization has really had some folks that have just made a massive difference for the overall company. I have to say that certainly if I walk away with lessons learned out of the, that I take away with me and what helped prepare me, I, I think having had a career where I have jumped around a lot of different areas has taught me a certain ability to deal with ambiguity, understand how important kind of priorities are, understand how important asking a lot of questions are. And so that, that's certainly helped during this time. And I think the responsiveness around, you know, we're not sure what we're facing. We need to make a decision. Let's make it. Let's study it as it goes and watch it. And then as quickly as possible, if we have to adjust that loop of how we think about, assess, think, decide, respond has been super accelerated. That's been fun, actually, and an important part of how we really face things. I think for me, one of the biggest lessons I've taken from these last couple of years is how important it can sometimes be to be bold. I think when we talk a lot about resiliency, risk management, dealing with all of these challenges around the world, it's very easy to fall into a, how do I try to build certainty out of this? One of the big lessons for me has been, sometimes this is exactly the time to make a bold decision. Sometimes this is exactly the time to go after a brass ring. And I think you've got to talk about it as an executive team here at the company and with the board about, listen, we think there are some opportunities on the table. We want to take a leap. But for me, that's been a big learning here. I've often thought of crisis times as a time to clamp down, but sometimes it's an amazing time to really also say, how do I make an opportunity out of this? And certainly the whole team at Crocs embracing that. And it's been a big part of why we came out of this pandemic so strong and seeing such tremendous growth. I'd say the last lesson learned for me was really about facing reality. As we talked to other folks in the industry, there was a lot of let's wait and see. I remember when we started to worry about the COVID rates in Vietnam, we've got a pretty diverse manufacturing base around the world, but we couldn't see Vietnam shut down and, and not see a certain amount of pain for us. And so we started to get a little bit nervous. A lot of folks in a number of different industries said, well, let's wait and see how it goes. Let's hold off. Let's not decide yet. Let's watch it. We jumped in as a team and said, let's assume that it's going to be bad. And if we come out better, then that's great. But we really pulled everyone together and said, all right, how do we quickly shift production elsewhere and how can we get that done? How do we talk to our product team about potentially letting the factory lines run longer, maximize capacity, and maybe not have so many kind of edge products with lower sales? How do we think about skinning that down so we can maximize our output? How do we assume it's going to take a while and manage our inventory and our order flow accordingly? How do we get ahead of what we know is going to be a mess in logistics coming out of this? 
And how do we even think about the seasonality of our product and leap into air freights and longer term contracts instead of shorter ones? And I think because we faced the reality head on and said, look, I don't know what's going to happen in the next six weeks, but if I assume it's not going to be that great, then I can start making decisions, right? And they're decisions that I can backtrack on if it looks better. But I think that that impulse toward action with an understanding of the mitigation plans if things changed really helped us get through that time period. And I think we're seeing the benefit. And so that was a big lesson learned for me as well. So just to face it head on and recognize what you're looking at and deal with it. I think that's fantastic advice because also to your point, you never know it's around the corner. So you do have to be nimble and flexible and be able to quickly make decisions that being a change agent, being innovative. When I think of all those soft skills, what is the primary soft skill that you tend to tap in? And I know you've mentioned a couple of times that you really step out of your comfort zone and you thrive in that, which kudos to you because I don't know too many people. I mean, it's hard enough sometimes for someone to get up and give a presentation, right? To really step out of their comfort zone, but you truly make it like a professional career choice. So is there any other soft skill that you have in your back pocket? You know, I've talked a little bit about being comfortable with being uncomfortable with this kind of being okay with the ambiguity. I think that helps. Listen, I think another strength that I have is knowing what my weaknesses are and knowing how to tap into others when my weaknesses are coming into play. Every experience that I have teaches me a little bit more about myself. And I I think this has been no different here at Crocs. And so I, I think I'm on the eternal journey of understanding what I'm good at, what I'm not so good at, and how can I build the right team to make sure that sort of those bases are all covered. And so that's certainly something I've I've been developing and continue to develop and really push going forward. So building the team, what does leadership mean to you when you think about what makes a good leader or what makes someone good in leadership position? What does that mean to you? I I think my answer to that is constantly evolving. I I wish I had a good pat two-sentence answer to give you on that. But look, I think at the end of the day, there's a few different components that I think of for leadership. We often talk about the human component, but frankly, a leader is someone who mobilizes everyone to action and results, right? And so at the end of the day, we're only effective if we're making the touchdown, getting things through, solving the problem and taking action, right? And so I think number one is understanding that leadership is is serves a purpose and that purpose is to drive the business forward, the team forward, the results forward. To me, it's also though an incredibly individual and human experience. It is so much about building the trust. It is so much about knowing where you're strong and where you're weak and where your team members are too. And so I think adapting a little bit to each situation, each team members, each kind of business scenario in a way that is recognizes how important those relationships really are. I've seen it again and again over the last few years. So I think those are a couple of the components that I think about. And then finally, to me, what links them together is real clarity and focus on goals and priority. It would have been much, much harder when the pandemic hit had we tried to keep all of our priorities in the air at once and to juggle them all. The fact that we could narrow things down to a pretty finite number that was clear and crisp and a small in number meant that we could be that much faster and effective. And I think a big role of leadership is figuring out how do I take the clear priorities for the company and translate them into my area in a way that we can really drive forward results. Yeah, move the needle forward. You only have so much to pick from. Like You only do so much in a day, even though I feel like everyone's been working around the clock with COVID. I want to go back to a point that I'm always kicking myself. I didn't ask when we were talking about it, but 
Touching on the geopolitical issues, is that transforming how you are looking at supply chain and what's going on? Is that impacting your organization with any type of manufacturing facilities or anything across EMEA? I would say that I don't know that it's really changing our approach to supply chain. I think what it is doing is putting even more pressure on capacity in the marketplace and how much flexibility we have. We're certainly seeing in EMEA, particularly in kind of Europe as a result, the shipment capacity, the lead times are getting longer, the shipment capacity is getting tougher. Look, it is a continuation of these last few years, right? At a time when we were sort of hoping we might be seeing an end. So I don't know that that's shifted that. It certainly has put more pressure on EMEA, to your point. So we've really had to adjust and adapt there. We don't have any facilities in the area that are affected directly, but certainly we're dealing with the fact that it's taken a lot of vessels out of play. It's harder to get trucking. Uh, Prices are driving up dramatically, particularly in Europe. And so all of that are, are issues that we're wrestling with along with everyone else. It's a really good point. Obviously quite accomplished. I love the fact that you really, as a professional, live to just be challenged and push yourself outside the box a bit. I think that's fantastic. I love your energy and your passion. That's truly evident here in speaking with you today. I'm curious to know, and you can answer this both or one or the other, but either what advice would you give you know, someone coming into your world and or what is something you wish you knew then that you know now? Advice coming into this world is a little harder, but if I, I think back to advice I wish I had when I started my career, um, and the, or that took me a little longer to learn, perhaps. You know, one of those things is that life is not linear, right? Uh, nor our careers or personal. I think when I started my career, I had very much a sense that kind of I had this perfect plan, and as long as I stuck to the plan, everything would go according to it, and it would be fine. And and then of course, like all of us, you get out into the world and realize so much for that plan. And certainly if I have had a career that I, I never could have anticipated and has taken me into places and worlds that some of which didn't exist when I was graduating from college. <laughs> I have found that lack of linear peace made me very nervous when I was starting my career. And now I find it some of the most rewarding things that I have found have been off of that beaten track. I would certainly tell my younger self to speak up, I think, and be a voice at the table. And I think my career really started to take off when I started trusting myself to really be a part of putting opinions and thoughts out there. And it took me a little while to learn that one. And listen, I, I think the fundamental one is that... Uh, I would tell myself, you're never going to be perfect. You're a human being. Stop trying to be perfect and sort of accept the fact that we're all a little different. We've all got our flaws, but as long as we understand what they are, we can really, I think, be much more effective and take a little bit of the stress off of each other. That really comes down to personal brand. It's your secret sauce, right? You can't fake it (laughs) and everyone's different because if we were all the same, it'd be an awfully boring place. Exactly right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I have truly enjoyed speaking with you. Again, I'm not even kidding. Your enthusiasm, energy, it's contagious. I can see why your team is just loving to work with you and just accomplishing everything you have in the last year, two years. It really comes back to you stepping out of your comfort zone, having that energy, that passion. And again, you're outside of my world. So it's been an absolute pleasure because it's good to step out of my personal little bubble as well. So thank you again for joining our show. And if our listeners want to find you, how can they find you, Elaine? I am on LinkedIn. That is probably where I'm the most active. So uh, feel free to connect to me there. Thanks for listening to Business Interrupted. I'm Cheyenne Marling for this leader's episode. 
To get more insights and resources, check out the show notes or head over to castellanbc.com and follow along wherever you get your audio.